want to introduce myself. If, if you haven't had opportunity to meet me yet, my name is Michael Macy. I'm one of the elders here, and uh, really excited to just have the opportunity to worship God with you all and uh, uh, to celebrate uh, really a, a shocking reality that, that the Bible teaches and we claim to, and we believe here today uh, that Jesus is indeed alive and has risen from the dead. Um, but as we enter into the to the message this morning, uh, I want to start with a question. The question is this, in your estimation, what is the world's most pressing issue that it faces? Let that sit there for a moment. Maybe phrase it a different way. What's the world's biggest problem that it has to deal with? Gallup, many of you may have heard that name before, asked this question to Americans just a couple weeks ago, actually. Here's what their response, uh, responses were with the corresponding percentages. Number one issue that we face in the world is unemployment and jobs at 19%. The second is government. Government is the biggest problem that we have, 18%. 17% said the economy in general is the biggest problem that we face. 11% said health care, and 8% said the federal budget and the deficit that comes with that. No doubt these issues are pressing, right? No one's going to deny that. They're issues that we face. But today, I want to suggest that as pressing as those issues are for us, and we have to deal with them. We have to work hard to see uh, what solutions that we can find. As pressing as those issues are, they are, this is not the biggest problem we face. Interestingly enough, what we believe to be the biggest problem that we face actually didn't even make the list. In terms of what Gallup found. So today, I'd like for us to take a look at our biggest issue and also have the opportunity to hear about how God has solved it. God has provided rescue from our greatest issue, our biggest need in the world that we can so easily ignore and neglect. In order to do that, we're going to open the Bible today uh, and we are going to look at Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. I want to read that for you. If you have a Bible, by all means, would love to have you follow along. If you do not, uh, we're going to have the scriptures up here on the screen. So follow along with me and listen to these words as Mark records them. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him, meaning Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. 
He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard it, that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Amen. The Population Reference Bureau out of Washington, D.C. estimates that since the beginning of the world, you ready for this? 108 billion people have been born. Since the beginning of the world, 108 billion people have been born. It's their estimate. Whether they're right, who knows? But that's what they would estimate. Maybe I'm wrong. But when you consider this stat, that all 108 billion people that have been born eventually died, tells me that we have a significant problem. That it's much more than the economy. That it's much more than the ebbs and flows of unemployment rates, that it's much bigger than the rising and falling of governments, that we have an issue that we must face, a pressing issue that we can easily ignore, and that is just simply the reality of death. 108 billion people have died. And interestingly enough, no amount of human effort, no political power, no technological advancement has ever been able to solve that human predicament. No matter how hard we try, we can't fix that problem. Maybe that's why it doesn't make the list. Maybe we've just given up and ignoring it, and we figure, let's fix problems that we can actually do something about. It seems to me that, you know, we have longer life expectancy, if you will, but no one would ever have the expectancy that we would live forever. We may live longer, but no one would assume that we could live forever. Because that's just life, right? We're born, we work, we pay taxes, and then we die. That's life. And that's how it ends. Life currently is assumed to be a temporary experience. 
The reality is this. Death is an inescapable reality that we all must face. No matter what we believe, death is an inescapable reality that we must face. And what we believe here is that, and what the Bible teaches, is that death really is the fruit of an actually larger issue, sin. Right? Long ago, in the opening chapters of the Bible, in Genesis, we see that God gave life. He's the author of life. And he, um, in, in the creation of man, gave, uh, gave him a simple command to, to not eat of a tree and not eat of that fruit. And because we have rejected him and disobeyed him, that now sin has entered into who we are and has been ruining us from the beginning. And that eventually causes death. Right? If you eat of this, you will surely die. And so really, death is the consequence of the larger issue that we call sin. Sin has ruined us. These are what the Bible teaches to be our most pressing issues. Issues that we often ignore. Death is a reality that we all must face. A curse that we experience because of our sin and our rebellion against God. That's what we believe. And yet as we look at this passage, it's interesting to me that Jesus experiences that very reality. Right? Jesus died. Actually, factually, historically, lived in the world and died by crucifixion. This is not fable. This is fact. Jesus of Nazareth came and lived in the world and died just like us. He faced a reality that we have all faced. He's identified with the human condition and endured its most ultimate consequence. Now listen, not for his sin, but he's done so for our sin. Amen. He was like us in that he endured the reality of death. He faced that. But he was unlike us in the sense that he lived a perfect, sinless, righteous life before God. But he died. It's important, although we celebrate uh, what we're going to talk about next, it's important to know that Jesus indeed, in all reality, faced a reality that we face due to our sin. He died. He shared in the human predicament. But what we see here today, and we're shocked by, we're not, we're not really shocked or blown away by the fact that he lived and died, but what we see uh, happens in the story here today. Right, John or uh, uh, Mark chapter sixteen, verse six b through through eight. The man sitting there, dressed in white, says to the women, "You seek Jesus of Nazareth. You're looking for him, the one who was crucified, the one that died. Listen to this: He's risen. He's not here. And so, in that moment, we see that all of our statistics get turned upside down." All of our human expectations about life and all the mathematical probabilities come flipping on its head. And that unlike anyone else, Jesus rises from the dead victorious over our greatest enemy, death and sin. Jesus rose again. And to hear that statement, we're kind of shocked, we're kind of put back on our heels. We're, we're alarmed at the idea that someone who literally died is brought back to life. I mean, that's the initial response of the women. They're alarmed. 
They're shocked. They're astonished. Again, wouldn't you be? I mean, sitting here, aren't you now? I mean, do you really believe that someone that died is alive again? Really? We wrestle with that. We're alarmed at the possibility. But the Bible teaches that unlike anyone else, Jesus not only died, but he rose again, just as he said he would. Right? We, they're alarmed and shocked, but they probably shouldn't have been. Because if you look back in the story, you see that this is exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. Soon, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed at the hands of sinful men. But on the third day, I will rise again. He says that on a number of occasions. And if you look back through all the scriptures prior to this moment in Mark, you see the Bible is telling us and in, in showing us in, in prophecy and promise that there's going to be a suffering servant who will one day rise again. So we shouldn't be shocked. Jesus told them that this would happen. But I think the most significant thing that we see is that Jesus rising again defeats an enemy that none of us have ever been able to defeat. He is, for us, the solution to the world's most pressing problem. He is able to defeat and conquer death in a way that no one else, no technological advancement, uh, uh, no, no human effort has been ever able to do. And this is where we get the truth of the gospel, right? You hear that word a lot, the gospel. Believe in the gospel of Jesus. And really, all that that means is that we have good news. There's good news when, in reference to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that he has defeated death. He has solved our most pressing problem. And yet for so many of us, recognizing the problems that we face, we still have this tendency to think that we are our own solution, don't we? If we just try harder, if we're just a nice person, if 51% of the time we're doing okay, then the scales will tip in our favor and God will accept us. Or we do the relative thing. As long as I'm not like that guy, right, then I'll be okay. Again, we're, 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 we're used to living and trusting in our performance. But what we see here, and really, if you think about it, logically, human effort and human performance have never, never been able to deal with this problem. The only effort and performance that's ever been able to deal with our pressing problem is the performance of Jesus. His work, his life, his death, and ultimately his resurrection, his defeating of it. So it is Jesus alone. We need him. He is enough. He's defeated death. He solved our most pressing problem. Shocking reality it may be. And you know, you may push back on it and say, I just don't believe it. I don't see how it's possible in natural human terms. 
And I would say touche. Because again, science and math and all that, we can't observe it. We can't interact with it. We can't test it. No one would argue from a natural, logical point of view for this. But if there is a God, and if there is a, a, the existence of deity, if there is a power that made all this, then we have to at least believe in the possibility of not a natural work that's taken place, but a supernatural work of God to do something that in natural terms just doesn't happen. That God, in the midst of human history, did the unthinkable, the unpredictable, the improbable, and defeated death on behalf of the human race. And so the question really becomes for us, assuming it's true, believing that it's true, what do we do in response to it? In other words, if Jesus has truly defeated death, how does that become applicable to people like you and me 2,000 years later? How do we share in his resurrection? My mic is giving me some issues here, as you can see. It's probably all my jibbing and jabbering, right? How do we experience this? How does this affect my life today? How can I live in the assurance that his victory over death means my, I get to share in that victory over death. How do I live in that? And that's what we see Jesus really taking us to in this passage here today. Well, as we hear the reality of the resurrection, I think we're prone to doubt it, right? That's the natural human response to this. It's the initial response. We see even the disciples, right? Verse 11, 13, and 14, the passage is clearly showing that, that in response to this declaration that Jesus is alive, that the disciples just simply didn't believe it, did they? They didn't believe this, even though they'd heard it. Jesus told them they still didn't believe it. It's inconceivable. No, no, we don't believe it. Another gospel says they believed it to be an idle tale. Maybe that's you today, still. You believe the, the idea of someone who, who has died being raised from the dead, uh, conquering death and, and giving freedom and redemption to the world as just simply being an idle tale. Well, if that's the case, I think we all have been there before, right? Even the disciples have struggled with this claim doubted it, wrestled with it. Our unbelief can be driven by a, a lot of assumptions, just simple logic, perceived facts, a different set of worldview or whatever. There was one man uh, whom you may know, he's an author, his name's Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel uh, was the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. That means he's really cool. Okay? Anyway. He's the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, but he also was an atheist who denied the reality of God, denied the existence of the divine, and surely denied any concept of a resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. But then something happened. His wife became a Christian. And Lee Strobel, 
obviously feeling the, the pressure and the thre- being threatened by that, being probably a little frustrated by that, confused. How could she believe this? This is crazy. He took his editorial skills and his legal mind, and he set out to do one thing, refute and prove that the resurrection is a hoax. And so he began to investigate. He began to read a lot so as to correct his wife and bring her back to reality, if you will. He began to interview people, PhD types, scientists, lawyers, looking, scouring the gospel accounts for evidence that would show that this is just silly business. But listen to the conclusion that he says. All of the gospel and the book of Acts evidence, incident after incident, witness after witness, detail upon detail, corroboration on top of corroboration, was extremely impressive. Although I tried, I couldn't think of any more thoroughly attested event in ancient history. Now Lee Strobel writes books on the evidence for the resurrection. Doubt, yes, we have reason for doubt. But as we really investigate, and I'm not going into all the details today, in the midst of our doubt, as we investigate, we see that the resurrection is actually quite a well-attested historic event based on the way that we deal with evidence and, and, and see it. And so while we may doubt, we may have reason to uh, disagree with the claim, Jesus calls us to believe in his resurrection. I can't make you believe it this morning. I can't force anything. All I can do today is declare to you a reality that Jesus is alive, according to the scriptures, and that he calls us to trust. And believe in his resurrection. Later on, towards the end of the passage, Jesus is rebuking the disciples for their unbelief and hardness of heart. And he says to them, verse verse 15, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Friends, we must respond To the resurrection here today. And the response that Jesus calls us to. Is one of faith. One of belief. Believe in the reality of Jesus Christ. As raised from the dead. And if you do. You receive and share in his resurrection. That's the hope of Easter. That's what it's all about. Jesus is alive. He's raised from the dead. And he calls us. He invites us. To believe in him and share in the resurrection. Now listen to this. We use that word all the time, don't we? Believe. I think when we talk about belief, when we talk about faith in something, I think that we need to be clear about what that is. Faith, for so many of us, is simply mental assent. Kind of a nod, if you will. Yeah, that's true. And that's about it. 
Or for some, it's a, it's a recognition. Some cognitive, yeah, look at the facts here. Yeah. Very similar to mental assent. And for so many of us, especially thus, uh, us who live in this county, in the Northeast, we have uh, minimized faith to be simply a collection of religious activities. I believe in Jesus, therefore, uh, or I believe in Jesus uh, to show that I'm going to go to church, I'm going to um, give a certain amount of my income, I'm going to vote for particular presidents, and I'm going to wear particular clothes, and I'm never going to say those kind of words. And if we hit those five basic religious activities, then that shows that that's my faith in Jesus. That's my faith in the resurrection. May I tell you here today that faith is so much more than that. Religion and all the activities therein is really man's attempt to please God. We're back to our performance again. And the gospel says that it's not our performance. We can give up on that. We can let it go. And faith in Jesus really is a reliance on his performance on our behalf. That is such a freeing thing to know that when I look at my kids and I have to say, I believe in Jesus, and at the same time, I am so sorry for how I've treated you. Right? That sin is still real, and I still struggle with the reality of sin, and yet Jesus' work is sufficient. He's good enough, and I can live assured that he has conquered death for me. And I can walk in newness of life because of his work, not my own. So religious activity does not save. It kind of, let's raise your hand if you're not even really interested in doing that. I'm not interested in it. It doesn't work. It's not joyful. It's not life. Life is not religious. Life is so much more than that. And that's what Jesus calls us to when he says believe in the resurrection. So much more than a set of religious activities that we hope someday will lead him to say, you're accepted and loved by me. Here's the craziness, right? Calls us not to religion, Christ, but he calls us to relationship with him. He's called us into a relationship with him that is characterized by trust. Reliance in his work. Not religious. Reliance. He's called us to, when he says to be baptized, whoever believes and is baptized, he's calling us to a completely new identity. Again, not an identity that's built on our performance or, or, or some carrot out there that we're chasing after. Not our image, the clothes that we wear. Not, a, not our job. That our identity goes up and down based on how well we're doing with that. He's talking about an identity that is fully anchored in the person and work of Jesus so that his death is our death and his life is now our life. That's what baptism is all about. It's not about just getting some water and going into the tank. It's about a new identity that is given to you from Jesus. To say, trust me, rely fully upon me and what I've done for you. It's a gift. Receive it. Just rely on it. And be redefined by my death and resurrection. And ultimately, because of that, we appropriately say, I'll do anything you want, Jesus. He says, go into all the world and tell the whole creation that I'm alive. When you begin to think about the resurrection as dealing with our most pressing human issue, death. 
and the source of that sin. You begin to see that Jesus really has so much more for us than what we might typically expect. That's what Jesus wants. He wants you today to experience and share in this shocking reality known as the resurrection. We ask this question, what's the world's greatest problem on the way in? I'm going to flip it. I'm one of those guys, I don't want people identify problems. I go, I don't want to hear that. You know? Let's talk to me about an opportunity. So what's the world's greatest opportunity? If death and sin are our greatest problem, what's the world's greatest opportunity? Salvation from our sin, victory over death, relationship with Jesus Christ, reliance upon him to defeat our greatest enemy. There is no greater opportunity to be found in this moment, in this window of time, than to know Jesus. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There's no greater opportunity than to have relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't miss this moment today. Maybe you say, ah, you know, uh, I believe, but man, I've been living a religious life, basically. Maybe today you've seen salvation from a completely different angle. And you're saying, I'm done with that. Don't miss the opportunity to walk away from religion that does not save today. Walk into the arms of the risen Jesus. Receive him by faith. Have assurance of eternal life. And know this too, and this is not to manipulate or to manufacture or to quicken your response to Jesus. It is only a statement of reality. The window of opportunity to trust and know Jesus as Savior and to have victory over the grave is slowly coming to an end. It's closing. Jesus will return or your life will come to an end. One of them will come first. Don't miss that opportunity. Don't put it off to another day. We just don't know. Whatever the case may be, Jesus is alive. Right? And he calls us to believe in his resurrection in such a way to receive and share in his resurrection today. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this time. Just Mike Maisie opening the scriptures to people in this room that we know and love and care about so greatly. We pray that all of us here would see you for all that you are, to trust you for all that you've done, and share in your resurrection. You're alive, we declare. 
You've conquered death. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where, O oh grave, is your victory? We give all the honor and praise to Jesus. In his name. Amen.